Good morning, church family. My name is Jacob, and I am so delighted and thankful to be here uh, this morning and preaching. Thank you very much. Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 18. Uh, we've been in a series in Colossians titled Enough, which reminds us that Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus Christ is enough. There's nothing that we have to add to Jesus Christ for our salvation. I will admit to you that it is a bit uh, humbling and intimidating to stand before you and speak on behalf of God, uh, and I take it seriously, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to do so, to grow uh, as a preacher. And I will say, I want to thank Danny. Danny does not have to let other people get up here and preach. We have a kind and generous pastor, and I'm really, really thankful for him. Danny's the kind of a kind of boss and the kind of pastor that wants to give his staff members a, a chance to succeed, a chance to do well. He doesn't want us to embarrass ourselves or give us a challenge. He wants to make things a little easier for us. And he's kind and generous in that way. He's, he's the kind of the guy that's, that's in your corner, that wants you to succeed. And I, I'm just really thankful for that opportunity, Danny, to be here this morning. Let's begin in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Oh, dear. Oh, Danny, how could you? How could you do this to me? Oh, boy, like I said, kind, generous, thoughtful. Let's read this passage together. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You laughed at that bit at the top of the sermon because you recognized the tension between this text and where we are today, right? You laughed because you see that. Also, thank you for laughing. I really appreciate that. It would have been very bad otherwise. There's a tension in this text, not in how it's laid out or what it says. That's actually quite straightforward. The tension, though, is applying this to our lives today, because in America in 2017, the individual is king, and we live in a post-abolition, post-liberation, post-feminist, post-modern culture. That's a lot of posts. But we recognize that there's a challenge here in this text for us. And I want to ask you to pray for the Holy Spirit to open up our minds and our hearts that the Lord has something from God's word written over 2,000, about 2,000 years ago for us today. And while you are praying, I want to tell you a little bit about this table. Uh, this is a kitchen table, and not just any kitchen table. This is my kitchen table. It came from my kitchen this morning. Thank you to Ryan Maynard and his truck for getting that here. And this isn't just my kitchen table. My grandfather built this table. 
He built it for my mother, and so this was my kitchen table growing up. I sat here, and my brother was there, my mom was there, and my dad was here. You can look underneath and still see the stains from the squash that my mother tried to make me eat, and I would hide. I'm not a squash guy, I'm not a a gourd man. Pumpkin squash, you can keep it. I I I don't care for it. So this is actually a pretty beautiful family heirloom for me because this was once my parents' table, but now it's my table. I have a wife and I now have a one-year-old son. And I am tempted to believe that my table is my table, that I decide what happens here around my table and how the relationships should look like at my table. But Paul is talking to the Colossians and he's talking to us today saying, you are not the head of your table. You may sit at the head of your table, but you are not the authority over your table and over the Christian household. Christ is the authority. And so we're talking a bit about the family dynamics, and I'll pause and say that for single adults or those who are unmarried, you are not excluded or exempt from the commands laid out in this passage. You're included. And you have responsibility as well to Act in a Christian manner at whatever table you find yourself at, with friends, with family, and whoever's at your table. Paul does not start his letter with, wives, submit to your husbands. He doesn't start there, thankfully. He actually starts with a beautiful and rich theology. We've been studying this uh, book of Colossians since September, so it's been a while, so you may have heard some of these things, but it should ring familiar to you. Thus far in the letter, the Colossians had heard and understood the grace of God in truth, chapter one, verse six. They've been encouraged to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, 1.10. They've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. They've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. The Colossians had been reminded that Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him has reconciled to himself all things. The Colossians had been reminded that they were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but were now presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. They were dead in their trespasses and the uncircumcision of their flesh. God has made alive together with him, having forgiven them all their trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against them. If indeed the Colossians have been raised with Christ, then they should seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. For they have died, and their life is hidden with Christ in God. And one day, when Christ, who is their life, appears, then they also will appear with him in glory. Praise God. Chapters one and two in the beginning of chapter three of this book is a beautiful and rich theology about how the Colossians were dead in their trespasses and now are made alive together with Christ. That they were far from God, but Jesus Christ, the great reconciler, has brought them together back into a relationship with God. It starts with this beautiful reminder of who our identity is now in Christ, that we are saved and we are part of the household of faith. And then, as a result of all that, we live the resurrected life. Danny's spoken the last two weeks about living the resurrected life. Chapter three, uh, verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. 
Verse eight, but, uh, you, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Because you are living the resurrected life, because of what God has done for you, this activity has no place in the Christian life. Put on then, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 14, which we've read together. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. When we are living the resurrected life in the church, we have put on compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, humility, patience. When we think about that, the sting of submission is not so bad. Because in the church, if we're all living a resurrected life, submission is not that challenging, not as challenging. And we should also say that the Christian life overall is a life of submission. All of us are called to submit to the authority of God, submit our lives to God's word. The Bible tells us to submit to the law. Ephesians 5 tells us to submit one to another in the church. It even says that Christians are supposed to submit to governing authorities, which proves that it doesn't necessarily mean that wives submitting to husbands, that husbands are any smarter or any better, but the Christian life is a life of submission. Submission, the word means to order under to find yourself ordered under the one to whom you're submitting. So wives submitting to your husband means find yourself ordered under your husband, the leader of the household, just as he is submitting to Christ. And Christ himself, Christ who in the form of God, it says in Philippians chapter two, Christ in the form of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and while in a human form, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Submission is not a four-letter word. Submission is the way of the Christian life that all of us are submitting. And around the table, at the Christian table, Paul is reminding us, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. There's some assumptions here because he's writing to the church, and the assumption is that everybody around the table is a Christian. And so if the leader of the household is leading you outside the boundaries of God, that is not fitting in the Lord. And that's a conversation for another day. And submission may need to look different, but inside the church and around the Christian table, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We should stop and pause for a moment and recognize the sting of this passage and the tension that we all laughed at earlier is because there are those who have used this passage and other Others like it, 
wrongly. They've misused it. They've taken a kernel of truth and wrapped it up in a lie for selfish gain, for selfish ambition, because they're selfish. And that's what evil does. Evil takes a kernel of truth and wraps it up in lies for their own self-promotion. That's the same thing that happened in the garden when, when Satan said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? Yes, God exists and he spoke to you, but did he really say? And that's what sin does and that's what evil does. And we may need to apologize for that, but we also have to recognize that this is the word of God. There is no faith, no religion, no philosophy that should treat women and children and people without authority better than the Christian life. I'll say it again, there is no religion, faith, or philosophy that treats women and children and those without authority better than the Christian life. And Christians should be leading the way when it comes to treating women and children and people without authority with justice and fairness and equality. We should be leading the way because that's what the Christian table looks like. And so if we are living the resurrected lifestyle, it is not as much of a challenge for wives to submit to their husbands. Yes, there will be some part of it because we are all human, we are all fleshly. But Paul's reminding us, wives, submit to your husbands and husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives with an agape love, a distinctly Christian, self-giving, self-sacrificial love. This same word is used in, this chap in the same chapter when he says uh, that, you, that God has chosen you holy and beloved. God loves all of us and we are beloved by God and that is the same love that husbands are to use to love their wives. A self-giving, self-sacrificial love because in marriage, it's a picture of God's love that God loves the church this month. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter five. The picture of God's love to the church is a husband loving his wife and Wives submitting and husbands loving, that's the picture of how much God loves the church for all of the world to see. And that's what Paul is teaching us and reminding us around the Christian table. What marriages look like matters to God. What happens at the Christian table matters to God. And so wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. That word to be harsh, do not make bitter. Do not make your wives bitter. Don't rule with an iron fist so that your wife becomes bitter and has hardness of heart and has set her jaw and does not want to speak with you and does not want to share with you and doesn't necessarily want to be with you. Husbands, that is on you, it says. Don't be harsh with them. For marriage is the picture of God's grace and his love from himself to the church. And then he turns, children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, I'm gonna to speak to you for a moment. If your child is living in your parents' house, it says obey in everything. I should say that it asks wives to submit and children to obey. So that may look a little different if, if submission is the, the broad umbrella, obedience is a piece of that. And so submission's gonna look different. And I should also say that God is, uh, Paul is not telling us very specifically how husbands and wives are to act. There's there's guidelines here and there's room for personality. Every marriage is like a, th a thumbprint. It's gonna be very different. I don't need my marriage to look like yours and you don't need your marriage to look like mine. There is space and room for personality there. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. And this means in everything. This means that yes, you obey when it comes to chores and it comes to homework, but you also obey 
when it comes to technology and who you're dating and how you spend your time and who your friends are. Obey in everything. Because if your parents are living the resurrected life, then they are gentle and meek and patient and forgiving with you and they want what's best for you. And parents, right? We are parenting our children in a way that is self-sacrificial and self-giving. And, and children, it may not seem like your parents know best, but if they are faithful in pursuing God and they want what's best for you, yes, obey. And it says, for this pleases the Lord. That means that obeying your parents is an act of worship. Perhaps even more so than singing songs, singing songs together or serving, that obedience of your parents is an act of worship. So, uh, so children, Obey your parents and everything. And then it says fathers, which could also be translated parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not provoke your children. Aggravate, annoy, exasperate. Don't make your children become rebellious. This Greek word is, the same, is a word they used when they wrote the Old Testament in Greek. It's the same word that shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 21, talking about the rebellious son. That word rebellious is the same word that comes from the root uh, to provoke. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, if there was a stubborn and rebellious son, you could take him to the edge of the city and announce before the elders that this is my rebellious and stubborn son. He doesn't listen to his parents and he's a drunkard. And they could stone him. Aren't you glad that's not an option anymore? That was an option. I'm very glad we're living in the New Testament. But that's the word. Don't provoke your children. Don't raise your children up in a way that they will want to rebel. Don't rule with such an iron fist that they would become discouraged. That they would want to give up. Teach your children the way of perseverance. That's the Christian life, is the way of per perseverance, that no matter what happens, we persevere, walking in the, a manner worthy of God, walking in truth, walking in the light. Teach your children the way of perseverance. How we treat one another around the Christian table matters to God, between spouses and between children and parents. And then it turns to servants, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. We should recognize some of your translations will say servants or slaves. This is, looks very different from slavery as we know it in America. Uh, it, was, it was quite different. Someone could sell themselves into slavery uh, for a, a or service into a, a period of time to pay off a debt, or a family could serve another family and that's how they make their living. So it looks a, bit, a little bit different, but we also have to recognize that uh, the ghosts of, of slavery and racism still haunt us today. And it's a bit frustrating that in this moment, Paul did not say slavery shouldn't exist so that no one could ever justify it with God's word. But he's also not condoning it either. And the truth in this passage actually shows that everybody is equal around the Christian table. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, earthly masters, fleshly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Paul's doing a bit of wordplay here. We have earthly masters, and we can obey them. You can obey your earthly masters. And we also recognize there, there are not many of us in here who are bondservants or servants in general, but we all work for somebody. We all work for somebody. You have a boss or a supervisor who has a CEO, who has a, a board of trustees. We all work for somebody. And there is God's truth that applies to us today. 
How should we work? Obey in everything those who are your earthly, fleshly masters. Obey them, but fear the Lord. The word for masters and Lord is the same Greek word, kyrios. Obey your earthly lords, but fear your heavenly Lord. Obey your earthly master, but fear the almighty master. You can and should obey those who are your earthly masters, but you fear and remember the almighty master. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. I love this phrase, eye service, people pleasers. Have you ever found yourself needing to cross the street and you get to a, a crosswalk and the, the hand is flashing and you don't know how long, so you say, you know what, I'm gonna risk it. And you take two steps and it stops and you're stuck. And the light is about to turn green and there's a car right there and you say, am I gonna run? I'm a grown man, I'm not running. And so you do this. This is eye service. This is people pleasers pretending like you're doing something when in fact, I'm not doing anything. I'm going the same speed. That's eye service, people pleasers. Uh, a couple years ago, they started putting the March Madness basketball games online. CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV got together. And I was always disappointed because I'd be at home watching my stories on True TV, my crime stories, and basketball would come on. It's terrible. But anyway, you can watch them online. And right below, streaming online is what? The boss button. The boss button. So that you can watch it work. And when the boss comes by, you can click it and a fake spreadsheet comes up. And you can say, I'm working, boss. Look at this spreadsheet. I'm working. Christians are not to act in that manner. I service people pleasers. We are supposed to do our work well. Remembering that we are obeying our earthly masters, but fearing our heavenly master. Work, it says, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. With sincerity or singularity of heart, with focus. Work with your heart, with your identity, with who you are as a member of the Christian table. Whatever you do, I'm in verse 23, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do. Whether you're a minister or a plumber, whether you send emails or sell cars or wait tables, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. It says work heartily, which is a pretty good translation for us in English, but it's a different word. It says work to a sincerity of heart and then work heartily. It's the word psyche, which can also mean soul. So it says work with sincerity of heart and with your soul, with heart and soul. It's perfect. Heart and soul, you've got to do your work with heart and soul, because you work for God and not for men. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Take it, Ginger. I'm so sorry, we didn't practice. You guys wouldn't believe this, but I can play that song on piano. I know, it's impressive. That's the only part of the sermon you're going to remember, I recognize that, but still, we continue. Work with your heart and soul, with who you are, with your identity, because you are a member of the Christian table. And, and, and that's actually quite countercultural. When Paul is addressing servants, he doesn't have to do that. Any other letter of its time would be addressed to the leader of the household. But Paul addresses wives, and he addresses children, and he addresses servants, saying that in the church, you are a responsible party, and you can decide what your attitude is and how you can act. Even the lowly of servants 
are a responsible party around the Christian table. That's quite countercultural, and Paul is doing something to elevate the status of all members of the Christian table. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In this verse, I have to ask, am I the wrongdoer? Because I confess, and I hope I have some, uh, uh, some excuses up here, Danny, but I don't always work with heart and soul. Sometimes I skate by, mail it in. I'm the wrongdoer when it comes to my work. I am the wrongdoer when it comes to my life. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, me and you alike. And the wages of sin is death. What I have earned because of my wrongdoing is death. The wrongdoer will be paid back for his wrongs. And what we deserve is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We have a gift. We have an inheritance. Paul is talking about an inheritance to servants. That's absurd because servants don't get an inheritance. That's why they're servants. They don't get money from ancestors or people who've passed away. They have to work. They don't get an inheritance, but they do have an inheritance around the, the Christian table, and that inheritance is salvation. That's our reward. Regardless of your paycheck or your 401k or your retirement plan, the reward for all of us is an inheritance of salvation in Jesus Christ, that Christ came on earth and died a gruesome death on the cross and raised from the dead so that we might be saved. And all we have to do is put our faith in him. And that is sufficient. That is enough. That is good news for us. And because of that, we can live the resurrected lifestyle and means that we work with heart and soul. The wrongdoer will be paid back his wrongs. There is no partiality. A great equalizing Statement here, there is no partiality. There is not slave or free, Jew or Gentile, man or woman, but Christ is all and in all. When we stand before God, it doesn't matter what we did on this earth. What matters is do we know his son, Jesus Christ? Are we saved by our faith in Jesus? There is no partiality. So servants, you are not exempt from this. And, and masters, you are not excluded. But all of us have a divine master, a heavenly master. And that's what he says to masters as well. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Treat your servants justly and fairly. Don't shortchange them. Don't try to skate by. Treat them justly. And fairly, give them justice. Do justice. Seek mercy. Walk humbly, it says in Micah chapter 6. Treat them justly and fairly. And within that word, fairly is sometimes translated uh, equality. Elevating this, don't lord your authority over them, but elevate them up as an equal member in the household of faith and at the Christian table, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And we do. We have an almighty master who has created all things, who has created you to be in relationship with him and made it possible for us to know him. Even though we are sinners and cannot be in the presence of God, we are given the free gift, Jesus Christ and his righteousness that made it possible 
that we could sit at the Christian table, and not just the Christian table here on earth, but one day, one day we are all invited to the the wedding supper of the Lamb. We will all get to sit at the Christian table at the, the wedding feast of the bridegroom and the bride, Christ and his church. We will all get to sit at the Christian table and dine with God. Praise God. Praise God that one day we will be with him sitting at his table. And that is possible because around a table, Jesus Christ said to his disciples, eat this, this is my body broken for you. Drink this, this is my blood shed for you. My sacrifice on the cross tomorrow is going to make it possible for you to sit at my Father's table in a place that I have prepared for you. That is good news for us today. That is good news for us when we go home and sit around our table and consider how we treat one another around our kitchen table. Because how we treat people at this table matters to God. Because we are members of his table and we'll sit at his table again. Let us pray. Great and mighty God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are, for what you've done, for how you're working in our lives, for how you have saved us, O Lord. We thank you that we have a place at your table, not just here and now in the household of faith in our church, but we have a place at your table, and we know it because your son Jesus has said it to us. I pray, I pray for the families in the room that, that rethink how they treat one another at the table. There are some marriages that need some reconciliation. There are some relationships between children and parents that need some reconciliation. There are some relationships at work that need reconciliation. And you are the great reconciler, O Lord. May we be reconciled one to another. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.